And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Hey, thank you so much for being with us today here on this program where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And um, we'll go through all the wonderful preliminaries a little bit later on in the program, but we're going to jump right into our guest, David Heron. <clears throat> and uh, he is, uh, he's. this is his second time on the program. The last time he was on the program, we talked about his uh, the release of his book, High times, uh, high time, and uh, uh, talking about uh, the these uh, astronomical signs, if you will, cosmic signs of the uh, um, the return of uh, of the Christ. And uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, solving a great mysteries of end time prophecy and discussing uh, the mysteries of uh, end time prophecy through uh, a new book. That he has out, and this is about an unusual kind of a miracle, uh, if that's what it should be called. It uh, stretches the laws of probability to an extreme, and uh, uh, he previously had not experienced. David, first of all, I want to welcome you to the program, and I also want to tell you uh, that last time I looked on the YouTube channel, on the YouTube channel specifically, Yours has been the most watched program of Tell Me Your Story on the Tell Me Your Story YouTube channel. Wow, I'm so pleased. And, sure, yeah. yeah, and we're talking, and I kid you not, folks, in the thousands. Now, that's not why we have him back. Uh, as I've always said, it's extremely important that we we open our eyes and our minds to different ways of uh, thinking and and uh, different uh, ideas that are out there. And that's one of the reasons why we talk about uh, what we do here on this program. End time living, despite conflict and hardship, all is well. And that is the title of the book, End Time Living. Uh, David, uh, this is uh, interesting. I... I have to say that I know that there are a lot of people within, <clears throat> and I use the term very broadly here, David, uh, within the context of Christendom, mm -hmm. who somehow, for, again, reasons only known to them, have devoted virtually their entire lives to the study of, not trying to figure out but just to study and research about the end times, um, the second coming, uh, Armageddon, uh, and so on and so forth. Why, why do you spend so much of your time now uh, in the in this pursuit when it's 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 kind of like uh, my death? Okay, I don't know when it's coming. All right. And quite honestly, I don't care because when it's my time, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. And it's the same thing with this this whole study of of the end times. It's going to happen when it's going to happen, Dave. Uh, Dave and uh, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, the, the, the amazing thing about it is how how little so many Christians do know about it. I mean, you would think that everybody would be reading Matthew 24, Luke 21, Revelation. A lot of people read Revelation, but that gets confusing because it's it's not literal all the time. Um, there is a lot of literal stuff in, in Peter, in, in, in Luke, in Matthew, where, where Jesus is preaching his sermon about the end. And they asked him, the disciples asked him, well, what will be the sign of your return? And they told him, but then he told them so much more that that Matthew 24 has only about this much mm -hmm. about identifying the sign. It has all this that Jesus added to that because there's so much important stuff that's been going on already. And it will intensify as we get more into the end time. And some of it's going to be scary. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. I got it. Don't be afraid. I'm going to shorten it. Well, of this bad stuff, I've got it. But We've got people now who are already reacting with fear. They're trying to say, well, well I'm not going to have to go through that. I'm going to be up in, in this or the that. And, and the scripture does not say that. But even if it came down to the thing about the pre-trib rapture, they would not know they were going to be going then anyway, because the whole theology of that is that, well, some are going to be left behind because they have to witness to the unbelievers in a lot. 
But how do they know they're not going to be among the ones left behind? Actually, that would be the blessed place to be because there would be an opportunity to witness to all these people. But they want to go up and they don't want to have any part of the of the problems. But that's that's the blessed part. Jesus said it, it is blessed mm-hmm. to suffer for the Lord's sake. He, he said that in the Beatitudes. He said it in two of them. He, he, he thinks, you know, a lot of times we think the opposite of yeah. what he does. Um, and, and this is the focus of this is really to get, first of all, me on the right track. OK. And then when I started to realize there was a lot here that a lot of Christians really either don't know or have have denied for some reason, I think it's an important topic to deal with because so, so many I mean, many really do not have a grasp of the scriptures that uh, talk about uh, the end time. Mm-hmm. And there is going to be there is going to be persecution. I've heard it say, well, that's that word just means pressure. Well, what it really means is oppression and oppression is different from pressure. Uh, that's bad. But Jesus said, stand firm. I will show you what to say. I will, I, I, by inference, I will show you what to do. Uh, he will take care of it. That's it. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the scriptures, but um, more from a more fundamental, uh, foundational perspective. The Bibles that you and I read, they're in English. They're not in the original language. And if I am correct, the New Testament, Aramaic, am I correct? American and or uh, Greek were the uh, original it, languages? Well, I, I think Greek almost, you know, almost all Greek in the New Testament. Okay. I think almost all. Do you speak Greek? No. No. Can you read I got Greek? Some good Greek dictionaries. Okay. <laughs> um, this is one of the challenges because um, I did a study of, of the uh, Hebrew language, the Aleph Bet, the 22 characters similar to our alphabet of 26. And uh, in the study that I did, it talked about each character. uh, And each character had its own legend. Uh, There was an associated color, an associated number, um, even a a, a musical note, if you will, or vibration. Uh, There was a story behind every single letter. Then when you combine each of the letters, when you combine the letters into words, it created a whole new legend or story. Put those words together into sentences, sentences into paragraphs, and so on, and you get a whole new story each time you combine and combine and combine. I don't speak Hebrew. Uh, I would have to have somebody translate for me from the Hebrew. And so when it's translated into English... As the phrase goes, there is a lot lost in translation. And you have asserted that uh, there are certain passages in reference to the end times that are, as you stated, literal. And yet there are those other scholars, uh, whether you want to call them uh, apologists or what have you, who say that uh, you've got to be real careful because you don't really know uh, for certain because of the translation uh, whether or not something is figurative or literal. And I think that's one of the first hurdles we might want to jump over. And here's the reason why I bring this up. You know, you mentioned the pre-trib rapture. Well, I'll just say rapture, period. Uh, And... uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure where it is, but what I do know is the quote. They will be caught up to meet him in the air in the clouds of glory. Now, I did a research on that passage and specifically the word air. Had my Strong's Concordance and my Bible. And it turns out there are two definitions in the New Testament Testament of the word air. One of them is the atmosphere. You see the birds fly, clouds float through, and so on and so forth. You can feel the breeze when the wind blows. The second definition is akin to the Old Testament reference in Genesis to God breathing the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam. 
It turns out it's the second definition that is referred to in that New Testament passage. They will be caught up to meet him in the air, in the clouds of glory. And it turns out the clouds of glory isn't literal clouds. It's all of the saints who have gone before. So can we talk about that issue in reference to, before we jump into some of the details of end time living, uh, how, do you, how do you jump over that hurdle of the issue of uh, things getting lost in translation? Well, um, the Greek is not the same as the Hebrew. Um, and the, some, of the, some of the Greek, for instance, Greek prepositions, there are like one or two words that in the Greek that could mean about 12 or 14 different words in English. Mm -hmm. So in could be at and up and all of these could be born. So they're just guessing which preposition to use in, in some cases. And, and, and a lot of times it's a matter of logic or in some cases, if the translators are really praying hard, they might get the Holy Spirit leadership and get exactly right. But what you just said about the, the air, that sounds per that sounds great to me, you know, because I'm looking forward to, to being up there with all these other believers in the air with Jesus. Um, and it does say in the clouds, so we know it's actually going to be up. But but that's really not a big issue with the end time. The end time is that period of time before that. That's the glorious time when we go to be with the Lord. Uh, and what, however you interpret it, whether you're a pre-trib or whatever, once you go up, then, then you see the Lord face to face. We shall see him face mm -hmm. to face. Mm -hmm. And we'll be with all the other saints up there. Right. And it's going to be a glorious time. But before then, there are going to be a lot of um, rough patches. And um, Jesus gave us instructions of how to navigate through those rough patches. Uh, that sermon takes more space in the Bible than any other sermon. Uh, a lot of people don't even read it at all. But... Um, I really think that's more important than the revelation because the revelation, almost all of it's figurative. Um, whereas Jesus spoke literally, of course, mm -hmm. the language difficulty exists. But when you compare translations, there's a similarity. Mm -hmm. uh, there may be some specific differences, but they're very similar. The overall picture is similar. And Jesus, there is not, uh, each word is not as important as if you if you are giving a, a specific um, revelation prophecy, each word is important because each little factor. But he's just talking conversationally to the disciples. So what we really need there is just to get the, the, the big ideas that he's conveying. And some of them are really simple, like stand firm. Do mm -hmm. not be moved. No matter what they do to you, don't be moved. Stand firm. And um, they're, they're just... It's great advice in there because it's going to be a hard time, but Jesus wants it to be the greatest time of all. Let me just read a paragraph to you here. Sure. Um, this is from John L. Cooper, and I find I found it in the in the Billy Graham. Well, it's the Graham family decision magazine, and he he wrote this. In my view, we must hold two principles in tension: love those who disagree with us and never ever back down an inch when it comes to truth, not a single centimeter. Now, Jesus said, stand firm. <laughs> well, he, he put it in two words, what Cooper just said. It is not loving to lie to people, nor is it loving to sit silently while those we love make decisions that will bring death and destruction upon their lives. The difficulty is learning how to forgive and not repay evil for evil. Pray for enemies. Speak with humility. This isn't easy. And this is the kind of thing we're going to need an abundance of it in, in, in the end time because there's a lot of, it's going to be a lot of antagonism. Therefore, let us be armed with truth and grace and a spine. We will need it. I shudder to think of those who may sit in the pews of churches without ever coming to repentance, without, uh, uh, without ever coming to repentance and faith in Christ because we bought the world's definition of being loving and we're fearful of hurting their feelings. We must proclaim Christ to the world. Let us come together in unity by putting an end to doing what is 
quotes, right in our own eyes and begin doing what is right according to God's word. I, I really like that uh, because that's what it's all about. If we are willing to be bold in sharing the gospel, a lot of people are going to be saved. The Bible, uh, it's in the book of Zechariah, and an Old, time, an old Testament end time passage says that one third of all human beings will be going up when that, you know, when, when, the, when the rapture occurs. Mm-hmm. And the other two thirds, of course, will be sitting down and they'll, they'll have a different destination. But those of us who know the Lord, that's exciting because Billy Graham himself said, and, and D. James Kennedy said the same thing, probably less than 10% of the world's population right now are saved uh, and are going to heaven. Well, one third, if, if that would happen today, there would be 2.5 billion people going up. But we know there's no one near, so, some nations haven't even heard the gospel yet. And others, there might be, you know, like like a place like China where, where, there's a, where there are missionaries, you know, there are, what is it, 100, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact total, it's 1.5 billion people. Well, of those, you know, we're lucky if, if 5 million of them are saved um, because that's the way it is in most of the world. So <laughs> during, the end, during the end time, it is going to talk about revival. It is going to be the utmost in revivals. People are going to be saved left and right because they're going to be afraid. The things that are going to be going on are going to be scary. They'll be afraid. And when people get afraid, their, their ears are open. You know, help me, you know. Tell me what I need to do. Um, and that is what is going to happen. We need to be able to tell them. Now, I've heard the phrase, God is not the author of fear. And yet your description of, the, of multitudes of people being saved during the uh, terrible times, uh, that seems like an awful motivator for believing I'm afraid, so I'll believe, instead of making the conscious uh, free will choice, I choose to believe because I, 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 I love the message, the messenger, etc., etc., I love God, and it just seems to me a little backwards. Uh, And I'm going to add one other thing to that. I saw this documentary on this whole process, this whole timeline. And they used the phrase during, I think it was in reference to their perspective after the rapture, that the rest of the believers on earth or those who become believers, there was what would they use the term probation, that, that we were on probation down here. Okay. And I'm going, but I'm not a prisoner. So why would I be on probation? I didn't commit a crime. And that goes back to a very core core element. Uh, Neither you nor I asked to be born into this world. Okay? Uh, I don't recall ever saying, yeah, send me down to earth through the parents that uh, I currently have. I don't recall that. So here I am, I am being birthed into this world, and immediately upon arrival, I'm condemned because of original sin. And, you know, you you used the word logic earlier in terms of trying to define some of the terms and, and, and passages in the Bible. That concept of being born into what has been referred to as original sin Correct me if I'm wrong, David. It doesn't make sense logically. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm trying to grasp that concept. Uh, in the Old Testament, it says that the sins of the father are passed on to the sins of the sons to seven generations, not into infinity, but to seven generations. And so I'm sitting here going, well, then I don't have anything to worry about because I know I'm beyond seven, could be 7,000 generations. I'm free and clear because, again, I didn't ask to be here. And yet, as soon as I come in here, boom, I'm stamped with the original sin. Can you share a little bit about that? Because then we have to go into, uh, no, don't have to, but we're going to go into end time living. 
Well, you, you've just gotten into a theological issue, which right now is not, is, it, I, I'd really rather not discuss it because I could, we could argue about it. But the point being, we have a certain amount of time to mm -hmm. do a certain amount of stuff here. I want to get back to your original statement about fear. Yeah, okay. And, and, and this, is, this is really one of the amazing things about God. He gives us free will to do and to choose. And he also gave the angels, he created the angels, gave them free will to choose. And about a third of them decided, well, we don't want you. We're going to go off and do our own thing, whether you call them demons or whatever you call them. But according to the Bible, mm -hmm. one third of them went mm -hmm. off. And they are the ones that, that are the, are, are the uh, formatters of fear. Mm -hmm. But God, he uses everything. He uses Satan. He accomplishes his purposes in, in, in whatever circumstances that we throw at him in sin, uh, whatever whatever Satan throws at him because he hates him, God still accomplishes his purpose, uh, either, either just directly by his hand or through his people. And this is one case where he wants to do it through his people. And the way he does it is by having us share Jesus. Mm -hmm. Not turning and running when things get rough. Mm -hmm. Not saying, well, I'm going to be preaching raptured. Well, that's not in the Bible. I'm, you know, I'm, it's just not there. Right. They, they, have, they have stuff that they say, well, this means that. But it really doesn't. Um, and when you get into the literal translation, it really doesn't. But yeah, why would, I, they, and want, David, but why would they want to yeah. flee the opportunity? Right. To, to, it says those who are are, are are the source of salvation to many will shine as the stars forever and ever. Well, who would not want that? The original disciples, when they realized what was really going on after Jesus was crucified, they turned around after fleeing originally, they turned around and said, wow, this is great. And Peter preaches this sermon in Jerusalem. How did all those people hear? He didn't have a microphone. He got a voice. The Lord gave him the voice to speak with power. And he'll do the same for us. Um, th that's really the basis of the end time. And I, I know three men who, because of fear, became Christians. Not because they were frightened into the kingdom, but because they were scared. One of them was scared to die. And he said, he said to he told his preacher, he said, what can I do to be saved? Because he was afraid to die. Mm -hmm. He knew he was going to hell. One of them came to me. He said, I've got cancer, Dave. Um, you don't curse. Why don't you tell me about your religion? Because I don't, I don't, I don't want to go where I think I'm going. Mm -hmm. And so I shared the gospel with him. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing yeah. to, to be afraid of and, and to be open when you weren't previously open to hear. Um, okay. Anyway, that's my comment on that. Okay. Well, now, and you mentioned something I think very important earlier uh, in reference to the rapture. That word does not appear anywhere in the Bible. Uh, it was obviously something made up, and I often wonder sometimes about how, how certain words are created, shall we say, you know. And, and it's like I, 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 rapture. Um, I, I know what the word in other terms means. I'm enraptured over this thing, that thing, the other thing. But to make it the catching away of the saints into the air uh, kind of thing, I, it's like, how did you incorporate that? It's, you know, I often wonder about that. But that's that's neither here nor there. It's just kind of a sidebar thing that I, I've been thinking about. Yeah. We're talking with David Heron, and we're talking about end-time living. David, I want to know what... Uh, I mean, you've you've kind of already you've really already stated this. Are there steps uh, in reference to um, or elements? Maybe is a better way. Not so much steps, but elements within the process or the uh, the aspect of end time living that we need to take a look at and work on incorporating into our lives. Yes, and I'm going to start at the at the end. <laughs> okay. Some interviews they kind of, kind of cut off. This is beautiful. Uh, I I recognized in the Song of Songs, which is kind of just just interjected in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. something really important 
Uh, yes, it is an allegory. That, that, that's the traditional part of it, that the king can represent Jesus, even though it was Solomon. He allegorically represents Jesus, and the bride uh, of, of Solomon allegorically represents the bride of Christ, which we find out in Revelation 19, is the church. Joan, my deceased wife, <laughs> she, she got it. She picked up, uh, I'm, I, this is her Bible. I'm, I'm reading it now, mine is a mess. And so I picked up hers, I said, well, mine's falling apart. And right there in, in the Song of Songs, right at the top, she wrote, Jesus and me. Well, that's what it's all about. And during the process of that, this bride uh, is left and she becomes, she's beaten up. Uh, it doesn't say she was raped, but it, it does say she was very beautiful. And then these guys went after her and beat her up. And how does she react after, right after that? Remember, she represents the church. And how does she react? The very first thing she starts talking about after that is how much she loves um, this um, king who has left her, who has left her to be beat up and, and who, who knows what else. Mm. Um, and she just loves him. And these witnesses around her who had been really sarcastic before then, all of a sudden they get it and they want to help her. Well, this is about us. This is about us and how we are to be together in this. And it's about our love and commitment to him who does sometimes, uh, Jonathan Kahn called it um, the unpresence of Jesus. Sometimes you won't be able to say, well, I, I, I don't, Lord, I don't feel you today. Where did you go? Well, that's his unpresence. And it's usually a testing factor. How will we react? And this bride in the Song of Songs reacted perfectly. She loved him. She loved him, loved him, loved him. And she forgave him. She didn't even mention that he had left her to, to, to go through this. And, and these people around her were really impressed and they were attracted by this. And they say, well, how could we help? Well, that's what happens when we love. That's what happens when we forgive, even our enemies. Mm -hmm. um, great things happen. Richard Wormbrandt wrote about how people, the torturers became tortured because they gave themselves up when they, when they realized they just, in tears, they repented and became Christians, these torturers. Well, this, this is what we're talking about here. The end time is going to be so difficult and, and so, you know, we either you do or you don't, that uh, a lot of people will, a lot of people will just say, no, no, go keep going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But some will say, hey, wait a minute here. I want this love. I don't want this hate. I want this forgiveness. I don't want this resentment. Of course, Satan is all hate and resentment, and so are a lot of these people. But love and forgiveness, and that's what Song of Songs is all about. And it is so beautiful. Uh, Joan has 24 notes in it about her and Jesus. And this is really what the end time is going to be about. It's going to be more and more and more of an intense uh, relationship between us and the Lord, which is the most important thing. David Heron, Heron is my guest. Uh, End Time Living is the subject. It's the title of his latest book that we're talking about here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We hope that you will uh, continue listening to this program because we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., as well as Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We also uh, podcast these programs on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, many other locations as well. We certainly hope that you will uh, listen to and subscribe to the podcast. You can also go to YouTube, the YouTube channel, Tell Me Your Story, Richard Dugan, and uh, you can watch these interviews. You can get to know David a little bit more, in, so to speak, virtually, if you will. And uh, we will be linked to uh, his website as well so that you can find out more about uh, what he is uh, discussing with us, endtimemystery.com, endtime, end times, there's an S in there, end 
oldtimesmystery.com is the website where you can actually find out about uh, his other books as well. We certainly hope that you will uh, do that. Matter of fact, um, uh, okay, let's let's uh, do this over here. There we go. <clears throat> and we encourage you to uh, check out his other works. He has several other books, including a high, The High Sign, which we talked about in our last interview, The Day of the Lord, which is great Bible prophecies soon to be fulfilled, What the Bible Has to Say About the USA, God or Not, question mark, is also another one of his works. You've, uh, you've been uh, writing quite a bit here. How long? How long have you been on this particular... Oh, I could. Uh, I will say search. How long have you been on this particular search uh, through these various books that you've written? Okay, I, I have about as many. I have nine sports books. When mm-hmm. I got toward retirement, uh, I had an experience one day. I was reading it through Isaiah, got to six eight, where the prophet overhears the Lord talking. Well, who shall we send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And for some reason, after, you know, I was about, I was, I was in retirement age. For some reason, after many, many years of reading them and not understanding, I prayed that same prayer. Well, here am I, Lord, send me. And then I started to understand. You can call it whatever you want to call it. I believe it was the Holy Spirit came in and ascended to my prayer. He didn't make me a prophet, but he enabled me like never before to understand these prophecies. And that's when I started writing these these Christian books, especially the end time books. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I really think of the ones I've written just for, just for your audience, that the most important ones are the high sign, uh, end time living and God or not. God or not is written for the generation, which is basically atheistic generation X and, you know, all the young kids who have been, the public schools where they were taught atheism and, and, and it's a horrible thing but that's basically what happened so they're atheists god or not um, <laughs> presents miraculous things that, that, that went on in my life and some that were just just phenomenally uh, astonishing and when you get to the end of that book and it's a short book you're saying you're nodding your head and yeah, god god exists for sure and that is what, that's the purpose of the book, to try to attract some of the people, uh, especially the young ones who now are atheistic. But the whole end time theme, which most of the books have, began with that prayer, here am I, send me. And it really started the next day when I would continue reading through Isaiah. Oh, I didn't, I never noticed that before. I never saw that before. I didn't understand that before. It was the very next day. And since that passage 6-8 is toward the beginning of Isaiah, I went right straight through the important prophecies of Isaiah with new understanding. And I thought, wow, I really do need to write some of this down. And that's how the books got started. Well, I have to say it's fascinating uh, that in terms of the uh, the uh, the fact that you have devoted uh, so much of your time in in your later years here, in particular, uh, to this subject, uh, especially considering and if if I and again I say this with all due respect, my friend, uh, due to the fact that you are closer probably uh, than I. I hope, <laughs> I, and, and in a way, I I don't hope because I I don't want to lose you, but. Nonetheless, uh, uh, you're older than I am, and so as my father, he's 90, and he's even closer, okay? (laughs) But be that as it may, um, I remember when a particular pastor uh, in the televangelistic world passed away, I think it was back maybe in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, and he just was beating everybody up. And he was taking that Bible of his like a two-by-four and just (laughs) smacking people everywhere. And when he passed away, the one thought that flashed through my mind was, well, at least now he knows the truth. Because I don't believe, and I would think you probably feel the same way, the Bible is not 
to be used as no. a weapon to to beat people into submission and, and unfortunately that has been that's been the case in in many instances uh, over the uh, over the years is that, that that's what people will use the Bible I mean even in you, you go you can even go back to the uh, the Inquisition that that's they were using their interpretation to yeah. beat people into submission and I don't believe that that's even though yes I know the Word of God is is referred to many times metaphorically as as a two-edged sword yeah, but that's different. yeah. Uh, I, I just find it, I just, it's, and I have to tell you, it's really sad because there are a lot of people who, a lot of damage has been done to them and their faith because, uh, and, and I have to ask you this question in regards uh, to, to uh, speaking of faith. Now, you, you made a wonderful statement, or your wife did, it's Jesus and me, right? Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not Jesus, David, and Richard. It's Jesus and Richard, right? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but when I was working for the Christian radio station, I was told by a minister, a pastor, that I wasn't saved and I wasn't ready to meet God. And I sat there thinking, how do you know? How do you know? I thought this was a personal relationship between myself and God. I didn't realize that you were the third leg on the stool that, you know, oversaw. And so this is one of the things, you know, you talk about how two-thirds. Was it two-thirds that were going to be saved, if you will, or, or two-thirds third. left? One-third. One-third. Okay. And, and, we're not, and you say that probably from a mathematical <laughs> standpoint, we're not even close. So we're oh, still a ways off. We're, we're, like, we're maybe... Uh, 15% of that. And both Billy Graham and D. James Kennedy agreed on that, that that number right now is less than 10%. Okay. And so, Graham, but but here's, here's the kicker, though, David. How do we know? How do we know that it isn't already at one-third? Just be, I mean, I, I, I mean, are people actually going out and conducting surveys of the 8 billion people? Uh, I guess that's the other aspect of it, too. It's like uh, the Bible says that uh, no man will know the day or the hour of his return right and yet there are people who constantly will use the bible and they will uh, do some secret codes yeah. i still remember um yeah. oh my god why minister pastor Wisenot was his name in in 1988 and then again in 89 uh and then when he passed away i i, I read about him he passed away i believe it was in 2004 and once again i would say well at least now he knows the truth yeah. That I don't care what you do, you can get yourself an electronic slide rule, uh, get yourself the best, fastest, most sophisticated computer, the greatest Mensa minds in the universe, and you're still never going to figure it out. <clears throat> you know, and um, and and that is not, and and that's one thing I want to make clear to our listeners. That's not what you're doing here. You're not telling anybody. Yeah about any specific anything you're saying look it's coming you know it's just like the sun is coming up in the morning and going down at night it's coming um i don't know when but you know what yeah you know it's like going on a trip Uh, if you're never told where you're going or i should say you're told where you're going but you don't you're not told when don't you think maybe you might want to pack a bag and have it by the front door ready to go (laughs) that's that's kind of what you're talking about here yeah, and, and you mentioned about the Bible. The Bible is a book of love. Jesus came down and sacrificed himself mm-hmm. for us. And the scripture says he became sin for us who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And then, and that's just what he did on the cross. When he suffered, he, he suffered in place of our sin because all of us do things that are wrong. All of us say things that are wrong. But he suffered for all of it. He took all of it upon himself. And that is an amazing thing. Um, When we talk about the right and wrong thing, yes, Jesus even prophesied in his end time sermon, there's going to be a lot of false prophets out there. And he didn't say that some of them wouldn't be Christians. Because false prophecy can come through a Christian just as easily as it can come through a non-Christian. That has nothing to do with whether whether you're 
saved, born again, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Because that, I, I, I talked about a guy on TV, 30 years in a row, he predicted Jesus' return. He was wrong every time. And people kept, <laughs> and people kept watching him. People kept watching him. His yeah. pastor, he wrote a book. A million people bought it. He said, Jesus is coming back. And one of four, he was specific, he said, well, there's going to be four uh, eclipses of the moon in a, in a short period of time, a couple of years, something like that. And he said, Jesus is coming back in one of those four. Well, he didn't. Um, that's just another false prophecy. As far as the gospel is concerned, it's not to beat people over the head, but it's sh- the main point of the gospel is to show the beautiful act that Jesus did for us. Because when he was beat up, uh, suffered, and died on the cross, that was for us. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to come to earth. He was God. He didn't have to come to earth and be beat up. Um, but he did for us. And that is really the heart of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and both Graham and, and Kennedy, who have international ministries, said, uh, and I, I sat down with Kennedy. Um, uh, I, I knew Kennedy. And, and Graham preached at his church, so Kennedy knew Graham. Both of them said that in their experience, uh, as far as believing in Jesus and trusting him, for their salvation, which is what it's about, that um, it was only a very small percentage. And they both said that less than half, now this is a good, actually it's a bad one. What you're <laughs> seeing, what you're seeing in Christendom, a lot of cases is not Christians. A lot of these guys who are preachers are not Christians. And, they, and they're not preaching the gospel at all because they don't know it, they don't believe it. And you get a lot of the bad stuff from them. Uh, and they're not even Christian. And both Graham and Kennedy said that less than half of these of the Christian pastors are actually believers. Hmm. And and this I thought, well, that can't be right. Um, but then again, Kennedy, I, I was trained in evangelism explosion, and Kennedy said a lot of pastors come to be trained in evangelism explosion, and he told me less than half of them. Well, he said more than half of them had to had to be shared the gospel with, which is another way of saying they did not believe uh, in the in the saving work of Jesus Christ when they started out. And if pastors are not believing, then they're certainly not preaching the gospel from the pulpit if they don't believe it. Um, just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you are. Just because you say you're you're a good person doesn't mean you are. Just because you say this or that. It just, it just does not, it doesn't necessarily refer to what's in here. Right. The Lord knows what's in here. Right. And that's one of the things that I have often, like I said, uh, often challenged people on. I say, you know, it's like, uh, you neither know whether I am saved or not, and I don't have to justify to you whether I am saved or not, because... Right. Quite honestly, it's none of your business. It's absolutely none of your business. It's between me and my creator. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people, they they just don't get. They really don't. Yeah, go ahead. You have to be sensitive to, well, like the guy who came to me, he said, well, will you tell me? Well, yeah, he wanted me to tell him. Uh, Sometimes they do need, a shove to be motivated to, to say to, to go and say, well, tell me about your faith because I'm, I'm interested. Uh, things are not going well for me right now, or things are going well for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to know, and, and that's when you can have the opportunity to share with them. Um, right. My, my phone is going in the background. Yeah, I hear that. No problem. We're talking with uh, we're talking with David Heeren, and we're talking about uh, the the plethora of books that he's written, uh, some on sports, and yet there are also some that uh, he has written uh, on um, what uh, is uh, um, faith based, if you will, and it is uh, very much focused on helping uh, those who are uh, genuinely interested in in uh, making this a better world for themselves as well as the world to come. And it's, you know, and uh, that is uh, the, the belief that, uh, that he has. 
uh, based upon uh, what he has researched. And we just present it here, as we do with all of the subjects that we talk about, for your consideration. We lay out this smorgasbord, folks, and we ask you to come and partake. And we hope that you will try something new. If you take something and it's familiar to you, that's fine, too. There's no problem there. Uh, but we ask that uh, maybe you come back again and again and again to try something new and just check it out. Uh, that's a part of the reason why we, uh, we do these programs, because we are trying to uh, hopefully inspire people, David, uh, educate them, uh, enlighten them, if you will, to the different, uh, as I like to refer to them, the different philosophies that are out there, and there are a lot of them. And I do understand because I was born and raised Catholic, and again, I, uh, so to speak, uh, grew up in broadcasting in the uh, uh, Christian broadcasting area. Although um, my uh, boss, when I left that station in 1995, he said that I was a casualty of Christian radio. Because because I didn't tow the he didn't put it this way, but I did. I didn't tow the party line um, because many of the answers that I was getting from many of these people, both nationally, internationally, as well as locally, from my perspective, mind you, didn't make sense. Logically, just did not make any sense. And again, I don't put any of what I believe on anybody else. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, David, no, David, you're wrong. No, you're out of your mind if you think that this and that and the other thing. No. Uh, first of all, that's not the intent of this program. It's not to, to straighten people out. Um, if anything, I've gotten straightened out sometimes. It is, it is basically to have a wonderful conversation about these subjects and, and, uh, and, and see what direction the universe takes us uh, along the way, just like our last interview. And, and I'm very grateful for your, um, uh, your being a part of this conversation. I think it's important. Uh, if we can't talk about these kinds of things, then we just can't talk. And we need to talk to one another, right? Right. And incidentally, you mentioned that you had been a Catholic. When I, when, I, when I married my wife, Joan, she was a, been a Catholic, and I was kind of a, uh, she was more devout than I was. But I was kind of a perimeter uh, Lutheran. I was not all that, you know. Later on, the Lord got a hold of me and got a hold of her too, both of us, and, and drew us closer to each other and closer to him. That's what he does. He doesn't mm -hmm. drive people away. He draws them together um, in, in, a, in an atmosphere of love. And, and that is the way it should be. Mm -hmm. um, that's, and sometimes we do discuss things, but it should not be with an antagonistic attitude. And I know that what you're saying is true because I know, I've, I've seen it in some churches, there is an antagonistic attitude, and that is not a good thing. No, no, it's not. We, we cannot... We cannot sit and reason together if if we can't sit together. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, it, it isn't going to happen. No, you're right. You know, right now, there's, right now the place is a mess. Oh, it is. That, you are. Oh, that, yeah. and that when you look at it from the Lord's perspective, I think is indication that He's not happy with it because that's what usually happens when He was not happy with Israel. What happened? Israel? Well, I went into 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 Babylon or into Egypt and, and that's the way it's going now yeah all over the world um, uh, countries are experiencing some really bad things and it's because they they are just um, going against his principles I'm not just saying that they're not Christian because that that isn't even all of it but they're just defying his principle they're killing each other they're they're torturing each other they're they're doing this and they're doing that they're they're oppressing each other. We're seeing a little bit of oppression right now in the United States. Um, it's just uh, that is the way it is. Yeah. So until he catches our attention, we say, whoa, enough. Um, that's the way it's going to be, I'm afraid. Now, I couldn't agree with you more on that it, 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 in, in, until, until um, we reach the next level, if you will, in this, uh, in this ongoing play, so to speak. Uh, this is the way it's going to be, and we've got to, as you have uh, stated over and over again, we have got to stand firm. We've right. got to stand exactly. on our two feet, speak our truth, and uh, and not uh, not worry about uh, 
um, you know, the the outcome. At the same time, uh, David, let me ask you uh, about this question. Let me ask you this question in regards to uh, the concept here in America, in the United States of America, that uh, they say was founded uh, on the 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 doc the main document, the Constitution of the United States, right. the Bill of Rights, and in the amendments. Right. And specifically, the First Amendment of uh, giving us freedom of speech. And there's a part of me that feels they left out a phrase regarding freedom of speech. Uh, and the phrase is with responsibility. In other words, if you're going to freely speak, then you better be willing to take responsibility for the outcome of that free speech. Your thoughts? That's in the Bible. I mean, um, the, the God keep, holds people accountable for what they say, mm -hmm. and even, and even they, you know, do not curse, do not this, do not this, and a lot of it has to do with what comes out of the mouth, the hatefulness that comes out of the mouth. This, this is this is a reprehensible to God, and this nation was founded under God, but they couldn't get the whole Bible into the Constitution. They did a good job. And, and it's not only freedom of speech, but it's also freedom of the press and freedom of religion. And a lot of times those who are emphasizing the freedom of speech want to jump right down on the freedom. They don't want to hear anything about freedom of religion. Um, but it's really all three. And the freedom of the press implies responsibility, mm -hmm. not lying, not um, uh, twisting and turning and you know, um, which you, we see so much of now. I would think, uh, I would think, David, that you, I, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't agree with me on this, but that uh, the echo chambers that exist in broadcasting today are a violation of uh, the freedom of the press because well, they're spinning one specific side. Right. And they're lying about a lot of things. <laughs> and again, we're not the, we're not casting aspersions okay, on any one, one group. Things, I'm not going to get into any specifics. No, 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 one, no, no, no. <laughs> one, one thing I've noticed is that a lot of the people who are lying, and they will point to somebody else. Oh, he did this. He did this. He said that. He said nine times out of ten, when they do that, it's something they have said. It's something they have done, and they're very familiar with it. So. They're very easy to cheer somebody else up because they know all the details mm -hmm. because that's what they themselves are guilty of. And I see that, you know, that goes all the way back to when I was in the beginning of a young journalist and talking to a colleague and, and, I, and he told me that they proudly that they were going to do historical revisionism. That is to say they were going to change the school textbooks so that George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and all these, these are bad guys. They were, they had slaves or something like that, you know, but actually they actually all of the slave traders were in the other political party, you know, that they told to say it was some slaveholders, but the civil war was fought over that. But you don't, you don't, you don't get that because you don't get that. It was the slave haters who started the civil war. The ones who, the ones who hated the slaves, uh, you get it. Everything is upside down because they did it. They said they were going to do historical revisions and they did it. Uh, they've got the opposite, exact opposite of the Ku Klux Klan as to which party actually established it, um, the exact opposite of everything. Um, they they brut brutally treat um, Washington and, and Jefferson, although they do want to, want to hear his uh, separation of church and state, which doesn't mean what they say it does, but they just twisted everything. And at the time, at the time, and this was bad me, at that time, I did not believe they could do it. And I laughed and said, yeah, 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 you're going to rewrite that. Well, they did it. The, his, the, his, the history textbooks and other textbooks that appear in the public schools today, mm -hmm. uh, they, got, they got so much untruth in them. And, and when you see kids coming out of that environment, a lot of them are committing suicide because they, they were taught all this hopeless, negative Okay, I'm going to say it. Crap. Mm -hmm. We're taught all this junk, and the, and it, and the kids, they, why, why should I live through this this awful world that I've just been taught about? Yeah, and they commit suicide. 
Well, I will tell you uh, that on the 500th anniversary of uh, Columbus uh, sailing the ocean blue in uh, 1492, in 1992, having gone through the public school system, although I went through kindergarten and first grade in Catholic school, uh, I learned about the story of Christopher Columbus, you know, in school. Uh, and basically, he discovered America. I still haven't figured out why America is called America. I know it's for America Vespucci, but why did he get the credit and not Columbus? If Columbus was the one who actually, according to the history books uh, that I read, uh, discovered America. Be that as it may, in, for, in 1992, I heard three different versions of the history of Columbus. Uh, one was a saint. Uh, one was uh, uh, the devil, and the other yeah. one was somewhere in the middle somewhere. Yeah. And I figured probably the one in the middle is probably the more accurate. Um, and, and I just thought, wow, this is, um, this is really something. And a lot of times I'd like to think that as, as time goes by, we will find documents here and there and what have you that will reveal new insights, not total revisions, but insights into the historical figures of our past, both here in America and around the world. Um, and, uh, I just, I, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you by the same token, Part of what I do also here, uh, especially on the part of uh, maybe some of the revisionists, not all, is the fact that those who do not want any of this change, they want to leave things as they are, are unwilling to deal with the dark side of America and how we treated the blacks, how we treated the uh, Native Americans, the Irish, the Chinese, the Japanese, the Germans, every nationality, virtually every nationality on the planet that has ever come to this country uh, in, in terms of uh, the, barbar the, the, the horrible ways. And I mean, during World War II, they threw Japanese into internment camps. Oh, and I, what, what's the deal with that? What about their, they were American-born citizens, but because of their nationality, they weren't trusted. And I know Germans were treated that way. Uh, and the list goes on of a lot of the, and I, I use this term to keep it gentle, but we don't want to talk about the shadow side of America. Yes, there is good. There's a lot of good that we have done. We have been there for other countries. And when there are natural disasters in this country over the centuries, the people of that area, they jump up and they go and they help. And it doesn't matter what color you are, how much money you earn, what political persuasion you are, what religion you are. You're a human being and you need help and they're there to help. And that's the beauty uh, of this country. But yeah. what about what about a balance here? Let's talk about both sides. Let's acknowledge both our 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 foibles, uh, you know, as well as as our uh, celebrate our, our our accomplishments. I agree. I agree. And originally, um, this is where really when you look back, uh, Jefferson. Okay, he was a school board. He was in charge of a school board. I think it was in Virginia, and. One thing that, that he insisted on was that there would be a Bible in every student's hand. Now, you won't read that in the history books today. And in fact, some of the other stuff, like Pocahontas being blah, 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 blah. Well, actually, when you get back to the, to the origins of this nation, mm -hmm. it was a melting pot. And most of the people were just trying to survive. Right. Because they were, they were living in the wild. They didn't have what you and I have now. They were just came over here. They didn't have a house. They didn't have anything. And they had to shoot their own food or pick it. Um, and, and it was a, it was a melting pot and, and they were just trying to survive and they did help each other. And they even, they even most of them even had good relations with the Indians, which, which you will not hear and not see in any history books because we're not going to say that. We don't want to say they were good. Mm -hmm. Well, actually most of those settlers, uh, they had suffered in Europe or, or you know, or wherever. Mm -hmm. um, and they came over here to get free of that oppression and they were not oppressors. The oppression began a little bit later when we got the political system going and, and people started saying, well, I want to be this, I want to be that. And when I get to be this, I'm going to, and that's that, but that didn't really happen right away, right away. Yeah. It was a pretty good place. Yeah. Um, and it, people were surviving and they were helping each other. Yeah. It was yeah. only when the political structure started to, and that, that's when, 
it started yeah. to go bad yeah. because you went, oh, I want to be this, I want to be that. I'm going <laughs> to fire you. I'm going to. Um, and that's that's when that's when the oppression really started. And you're right, it's 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 pretty bad right now. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, I uh, interviewed a gentleman uh, about a year or so ago talking about how um, we need um, we need uh, a, 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 a new movement in this country to back to a more a, a reasonable form of government. And so uh, the very first question I asked him was, so when was the last time we had a, a, a reasonable government? And... Um, Without missing a beat, he said, it was about three minutes after the ink dried on the Constitution. <laughs> uh, immediately, and it basically goes to your point, that as soon as the political element was, was uh, a manifest, and of course it was even before that because it took them a long time to craft this document. Yeah. Um, I was arguing. It it just it just really uh, you know it, it it just been so to speak, it's been going downhill ever since. Um, I, I do think that the some of the early administrations were pretty good. I think that I think that uh, Washington, Jefferson, Adams, yeah. Lincoln, Lincoln were honorable men, but in between Adams and Lincoln, there were a couple who weren't. And it's yeah. sort of to really go down after the murder of Lincoln, um, it really started to really deteriorate. But even so. A republic form of government is better than a communist form of government, where the communists, you don't like it, kill you. You don't yeah. like it, kill you, torture you. Um, it's better than that. Yeah. But this is why Jesus had to come for the salvation of human beings, because when we go our own way, it's always the wrong way. You know? Right, right. Well, David, David uh, Heron, I want to thank you so much for uh, being a part of this program and sharing your your perspective on things, especially on end times and um, and end time living. The title of the book that we've uh, kind of focused on at the beginning of our program here. I really do appreciate you and and what you're doing, and uh, I, I wish you much success in the work that you're doing, and uh, uh, hope that you continue. If and I always I always put this proviso in here. If you should choose to do so, I hope you do live a very long and prosperous life. Pretty have. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I, I've noticed throughout the entire program you've had a smile on your face. I really didn't think I did. I thought every once in a while I smile. But, but yeah, I, I do like smile. And I, you made my day when you told me about, about how, how that podcast, I think you said it was a podcast that yes. had done really well. Because, you know, I, I don't really know that much. It does not reflect as much in, in the book sales as it does in, in, in the podcast and, and, and the, the other perimeter stuff. Um, but I'm glad you told me that because that's yeah. encouraging. Well, we'll find out how well this one does uh, once we get it posted up on YouTube. And uh, we certainly hope that people will uh, uh, avail themselves of either or both the podcast as well as the video cast. And again, I thank you so much for uh, giving us so much time here on the program. And um, we, we uh, as I said, we wish you much success. Well, you too, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Now, I, I'm going to do the same thing I did at the end of the last program. I'm going to ask you those three questions. You may not remember them, uh, but they are questions that I ask all of my guests, even the returning guests, because sometimes the answers change. Sometimes they don't, but that's okay. Uh, and uh, the first of those three questions is, who is David Heron? Well, right now, I think um, I would start off by talking about my relationship with God. Um, he has... He's just done some really amazing things. I mean, first there was that thing here, my send me, and then all of a sudden I'm seeing this stuff. But that was only one thing. The God or Not book that opens with two miracles. Two miracles. Um, losing my I'm losing my house, my mortgage is is I can't pay it. And then all of a sudden, the day before foreclosure, the, the, the pastor comes up to me and says, God told me to give you this. And he handed me an envelope. And it's, and it's a check for the exact sum needed. And that was just one out of a, a dozen things. Mm -hmm. The Lord has really um, taken charge. Of, well, I don't know if he's taken charge. He doesn't boss me around. He kind of leads me around. Mm -hmm. But I would say it all focuses on my relationship to God. That would be the important thing. 
What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Trying to help people prepare from a Christian perspective for the end time that lies ahead, which is going to be difficult. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Well, right now, it's just barely that. Um, this, this is the focus. Um, I used to work a 40-hour week. I, I still do because of, of this, what we're doing and what um, uh, my promoters have, have, have. It just, it just, it's great. It's really great because a lot of people are getting the message, which I hope is always founded in the Bible. That's, that's um, where all of this has to be found as far as I'm concerned. And David Heron is my guest. David Heron is my guest, and he is here talking about, of course, uh, his book. Uh, the latest one is uh, um, is End Time Living. We certainly hope you will go to his website as well, because I think it would uh, it would benefit you. It wouldn't hurt you. Uh, none of this stuff's going to hurt you, folks. Okay, uh, you want to go to the website End Times Mystery dot com. End Times Mystery dot com. The website will be linked to uh, David's website as well. And again, David, thank you so much for joining us. And we thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast videocast, love to lol.